following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. I believe that the Lord has already spoken so clearly about His glory and His majesty and the worth that He deserves. We should just stop and start applying what we've heard. But... In order to break this moment, I do want to tell you I am from Chicago. And in Chicago, we have a famous athlete, a famous athlete, and you may think I'm going to say Michael Jordan, but his name is Michael, but it's not Jordan. I want to show you this famous athlete. Just give me a moment. One minute and 24 seconds is all it takes right here. Michael Pantanzis, not Michael Jordan. I can't pronounce, I can't explain what happened to me, he said. People think I'm crazy, but I'm not. It was perfect timing. I could do it a hundred times and might not get it right. It turned an average Joe into a national hero, at least in Chicago. Instant fame. Now, 90% of us would say that was crazy. 90% of us wouldn't even think of doing that. Uh, he, but he was a football fanatic. Uh, why did he do it? He was a football fanatic. Um, Michael says, I eat, I sleep, and I drink football. I got to be part of the team for a moment, he said. I got to be part of the team for a moment. I love it, baby. That's Michael explaining why he jumped and took that risk. What's in your life? What do you feel energized by? What do you do when you go to bed, what do you start thinking about? What do you get up thinking about? What pursuits or people are always before you or seem to be always before you? Could you, could you be a smartphone or in, in, uh, technology or gaming or automobiles or health or a relationship or a hobby? If I were to ask Michael, why do you love football so much? Because obviously it's all about football to him. He could give me a list of what I would like you to put in your mind right now that is going to be the context of how we look at this passage. A list of glories. A list of glories of football. And if we said, Michael, what is it about football that made you like it so much? What gave you a glimpse into its glory? He'd say, well, it, maybe it develops discipline. It helps me achieve goals. It gives me higher levels of confidence. All the sports athletic people can identify with some of that. It develops my motor skills. It teaches teamwork, leadership skills. It gives me a healthier life. It helps me to have the challenge and helps me to experience what winning is. The list of glories that a reason would give for why they do something like that compels them. And in the verse that we see this morning, we see that God is going to draw us by his glory and then he's going to develop us by his glory. And that's how we change. What list of reasons might you give today that compel you to feel what you feel about that thing that you think about going to bed at night? That thing that you live for? You all have the list. We all have a list of glories. Our scripture tells us this. Would you put that up there, please? Second Timothy, or 2 Corinthians 3.18. The Apostle Paul says this. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So I pray that the Lord will open our eyes this morning to not only see that His glory in Christ Jesus supremely draws us to Himself, 
But as we live out that glory and we apply it to our challenges in life, we actually develop by that glory. Will you pray with me just as we get started? Lord, we have had such awesome time of worship, thinking about the glory of your Son, the new covenant. And I pray that this text will just add to that. Father, I pray that maybe there's been Christians that have been here for years, but they've not quite grasped how they can make powerful changes in their life. None of us have arrived. But may today give them more power to pursue that change that is possible in Jesus Christ. I pray for that. I pray that as we consider the things that you've written, that you might open our hearts and give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. John MacArthur calls 2 Corinthians 3.18 his favorite verse. And if you could just leave that up on the screen there, we're just going to be drawing from that again and again. You could see maybe why it would be his favorite verse. But this is what he says. This verse illustrates what he calls the divine perspective of change. We have a lot of activity when we're changing. We have a lot of thoughts we're thinking. We have a lot of things we're trying to do in biblical change. But when God looks at change, John MacArthur and others who study this text would say, this is how God sees ultimately, essentially, what changes in us. And what changes in us is that we, God, develops our list of glories about Jesus. Think about it. He's demonstrated his love on the cross, and then the Holy Spirit takes that demonstration through the written word and lets his become glory to us. And the glory should grow in our understanding. Now, I don't know how fanatical Mike is about football now, because he can't play it as well. But the Christian is going to continue to play, quote-unquote, the Christian game, and he's going to get better and better the more his glory of, of Jesus Christ grows and increases. What is the glory of the Lord? Let's just start there, because that's a word that we don't use, you know, glory. Now, I say it a lot just because I put it in place of bad words that maybe I used to say or think, right? I just say, oh, glory. So if I say that today, I'm not saying that. It's really redeemed now. I'm I'm totally redeemed in that area. I say glory, I mean glory. This is what glory means, though. What is the glory of the Lord that we're changed by and that we're changed into? If you could go to the next slide there. The glory of the Lord is uh, the sum of his his infinite excellence. And praiseworthiness set forth in display. What a mouthful by Jerry Bridges. Think of again Michael Jordan for a minute. It's the glory of Michael Jordan would be the sum of his infinite excellence and praiseworthy on the basketball court. Right? When he put on White Sox, Chicago White Sox uniform, no glory. Okay? Better than you and I. Now some of you are like, who is Michael Jordan and who are the White Sox and what does that have to do with Michael Jordan? Just study it. Go Google it today. You'll get it. But the point is... If Michael Jordan wanted to show you his glory, he'd go on the basketball court and do hang time. Right? So if God wants to display his glory, he goes to the earth, demonstrates his humility, and then raises him up from the dead to baffle the devil who didn't understand what was going to happen. And then he takes us sinners who don't love him and hate him actually by nature... And through the power of Jesus Christ and the display of that glory wins us to be his sons and his daughters and submitted to him and wears gladly the name slaves of God. Think about the amazing glory of our God to take that, to do all that. That is what the glory of the Lord is. It's the display of God, right? What did Moses say to God? God, show me your Exodus 33 glory. And Moses and God's like, can't do that. You've got to wait for Jesus. 
But he did show him some demonstration of it. It's all about glory. It's what drives you and gets you up in the morning and makes you do what you do. You may say, it doesn't seem to be glorious what I'm living for. But the alternative is not good. And so you live for that thing. And so God changes us by the display of his glory. The glory is the worth, value, attributes, abilities of a person or thing on display. In Christ, God has revealed his worth and his values and his attributes and his abilities in full measure. Go ahead and go to the next slide if you would. Just click through that. John chapter 1, verse 14. We have seen his glory, John would write. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So we see in Christ God's love. We see in Christ God's justice. We see in Christ God's righteousness. We see in Christ God's wisdom. We see in Christ God's power. We can define all of those things and give illustrations to it, like how in the world did Jesus die on the Day of Atonement perfectly, right? How did he do that? The display of God's power. How did he fulfill all those prophecies? The display of God's wisdom, right? I asked a Marine that I was counseling one time, I said, when you look at the cross of Christ, what do you see? And He looked at me and he said, how old are you? Now, that was when I was young. You say, How did he, why do you say that? Because I was starting to help him turn the corner and get a glimpse of the glory of the cross so that he might be saved and changed. He, he diverted, and I told him how old I was. And at that time, I think I was 37. I know I don't look much older than that now, do I? I don't feel much older than that, right? But I said, when I look at the cross, I see the humility of God as well. I see the payment for sin. And I said, I'm working with your wife to help her see that, and she's seeing it, and she's responsive to it. What do you think your marriage would be like if I taught her how to be more humble? You can imagine what he did, right? I'm all about that, right? And then I turned to him and I said, what if I helped you see in Christ the humility that would help you get forgiveness and help you be transformed into that image and display that humility before her? Do you think you'd have a better marriage? And then he said, how old are you? He gets diverting. He didn't want to let the Holy Spirit reveal to him the truth of the glory of Christ. But in Christ, God has revealed it, whether we want to see it or not. So this passage, go into the next slide, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 18. We with unveiled face behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now this is a clear statement, as you can see, I hope on the doctrine of how God changes people. You ever wonder how God changed people? This is it. Observe the cause and effect statement. Go ahead and go to that next slide, if you would. Observe the cause and effect statement of this passage. We are what? Beholding the glory of the Lord. That's the cause, right? And what's the effect? We're being transformed into that what? Go ahead and go through that. Oh, we went too far. If you go back just one, maybe I... You know what? If it's not there, that's okay. The computer ate it. it. Observe the cause and effect, beholding the glory of the Lord and being changed into that image of glory. Now, this is a verse on, the, on what Paul observes as the way we change in Christ. This verse states that we have been enabled by the Spirit. That's at the very end of that passage. Go ahead and just put up that verse, if you will. 
2 Corinthians 3.18. That'd be fine. Yep. At the very end, it says, by the Spirit. So this is a verse that states that we've been enabled by the Spirit to both behold the glory and be transformed into that glory. This benefit is superior to what the Old Testament saints had. It's superior to what the Old Testament saints had. The New Testament saint does not only have the God of all glory demonstrating himself around him, but has the ministry of God within him to help him comprehend and really grasp and let it affect longer and deeper what he loves. And I've often asked in counseling just to kind of check the spiritual pulse. And I ask you here today, and I ask myself this question, Tim, when is the last time you did something just because you love Jesus? And I would say, well, probably never. You say, man, you're a bad sinner. Just realize our motivation is always mixed. We're living for the glory that we behold. I want peace. I want quiet. I live for that glory. I want to demonstrate Christ. I want to know Him. I want to respond to His love. And as a result of that, we live for that glory. And the Holy Spirit helps deepen the understanding of His glory in our lives. So that here we are today, changed in some degree into the image of His glory. It happens for all of us the same way. There's no difference. Second Corinthians 3.18 Now when the law was given on Mount Sinai, does anyone remember how it was given? It came with glory. What kind of glory did it come with? What did, you, what did they feel, see, hear, and sense at the Mount Sinai? Fire, thunder, lightning, trumpet blast, earthquake, right? And their knees trembled, right? They perceived the glory of God and they trembled at the foot of that mountain trembling at the, at the glory that was revealed. And Moses came down and said to them in Exodus 20, 20, do not be afraid. Yeah, right. right. What are we supposed to do with this? Don't be afraid. God has not come to destroy you. But he's come that the fear of him might remain with you. Think about that. That you may not sin. That the glory demonstrated here at the mountain you would keep in your heart and your mind and that trembling you feel about the ugliness and dangers of sin that would stay with you so that when you're in that moment of temptation, you would say, no, that the fear of him might remain with you. Well, the Holy Spirit now has come not to give us demonstrations on the outside only, but convincing on the inside. And He remains with us and will be with us forever, Jesus said. In, in John chapter 15, it says that, 16, it says that Jesus, the Spirit will take the things that are Christ and make them known to us. Right? Think about the power of that. That's the remarkable change that is possible for the saint in Christ because of the work of the Spirit and the work of Christ. And you see in this passage, it says that we all with what? Unveiled face, right? We with all unveiled face behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. When, we un- when the Spirit of God opens our eyes to the value, worth, weight, and excellence of God, there is nothing in all creation as good. You just spent some time in worship. What was going on in worship if it was authentic was the Holy Spirit was taking truth that was in song and was enlightening you in your heart, and letting you value what was most valuable. Throughout the week, though, we're tempted to value that which is less valuable. And as a result, we fall. 
we struggle with attitudes like anger, anxiety, depression, because we can't let the fear and love and knowledge of God remain with us. We're not exercising it. Think of the possibilities. Let me Give me a problem, in other words, and I should be able to link you to a glory of Christ that if you behold it by the power of the Spirit, you can be transformed by that in a, in a progressive manner. Not all at once. I mean, I'd like to think that I get zapped. Ask my wife if I'm progressively becoming like Jesus or I'm zapped. Right? A fearful person grasping the glory of Christ's power. Let's just think of that for a minute. A fearful person grasping the glory of Christ's power over what they're afraid of could be transformed into the glory of the peace of Christ. Eureka! Let's go counsel, right? Let's go take the glories of Christ to ourselves first and see if, put them to the test. How about a depressed person? Grasping the glory of Christ's love. They could become confident no matter what they have lost or are afraid of losing in their depression. Because they would begin to believe that all things work together for a greater good. Because God in Christ has loved them and will not separate himself from them. And as a result of grasping the glory of Christ's love, they could have experience in themselves the glory of of Christ's perseverance. It's amazing, the perseverance of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the possibility for application is endless because the glories of Christ are infinite (laughs) and the problems of man are deep. We must learn to grasp the glory of the Lord as the divine perspective on change. How about the angry person? What do they get? Do they get anything out of this? Well, there was a boy that came in. He was an angry teenager. He was stressed because his parents had taken away from him the most glorious thing in his life. Now, some of you will laugh at this, but I was there. I was 15, 16 once and felt this. The glory of being able to talk with his girlfriend. Now, you may think that's not that's small potatoes, but your, your struggle is small potatoes in light of the glory of Christ, too. Glory of the girlfriend, glory of Jesus. You think, does that really work? No, it doesn't work on those who are veiled. But it works on those that the Spirit of God opens the eyes. And that's the ones that demonstrate the the change that's possible. So this this guy came in, and he, when I say violent, it wasn't just your normal kind of violence. It was the dangerous violence. It was potential police-involved violence. And I actually had him stay at my home a couple times. He said, well, that was dangerous. Not really. Because he would, he would be okay when I was there, you know. But we would talk through things, get him calmed down. But is, I asked him this question after we got to know each other. And I said, is Christ better than your girlfriend? Make me a list. Well, yeah, Christ is better than Jesus' answer, of course. But make me a list. And if I told any of you today that thing that you are stressed over, that you are angry about, or that you're troubled with, is Christ better and bigger than what you're struggling with. You'd say, yeah. And I'd say, give me a list. Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah, give me a list. All those wonderful texts that we just sang, those are lists of glories of Christ, aren't they? We have to meditate on that. Beholding the glory of Christ, transformed by that very glory, into that same image of glory. So here was his list. 
the glories of Christ. Christ created me. She did not. Well, that's a good place to start, isn't it? Well, that's obvious. No, but it's not obvious to our hearts. That's the point. Our hearts sit there and value something that's less valuable and then gets angry about it instead of pleasing the one that's most valuable in dealing with that. Right? Christ created me. She did not. Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the giver of every perfect gift. She is not. James 1.17. Boy, that's confrontive, isn't it? Exactly. It puts the girlfriend in the proper place. It puts the problem in proper perspective. When Christ's glory is big, everything else isn't necessarily insignificant, but it's not controlling. You see, that's critical. Christ can bless me more than he has already, and maybe he'll give me her as a wife. It does say in Proverbs 18.22 that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains what? Favor. Number three, she, she loves me more than she, Christ loves me more than she can because his love is infinite. Christ can take her away from me. Well, that's a glory. She can't take Christ away from me. See? Christ died for my sin to rescue me from God's wrath. She could not. And last one, Christ will never leave me or forsake me. She can't promise this. She doesn't have the power to, nor maybe even wants to do that always, right? These are great truths that helped him to renew his mind and not let the fear of not having his girlfriend or the anger towards not having his girlfriend control him. Observe the key people involved in this. Again, it's the unveiled face and the Spirit of God. The unveiled face, it's describing, again, what the saints can do through the ministry of Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards said this, um, with unveiled face, to behold the glory. He said, there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. So there's a difference between a believing, but between believing a person is beautiful and having a sense of their beauty. Right? So I would ask you, what things in your life do you taste as sweet as honey? That you wish you could have more of them. And you can't wait to have more of them. When is the last time God tasted sweet? Right? You, oh, we have a knowledge of God's sweetness. But when has it really affected our feelings? Our desires? Right? Every strong emotion or attraction that you feel is predicated by your list of glories that you have well-developed and exercised, right? When I had my first baby, Isaac, he's 21 now, 20-ish. I don't know how old he is, actually. I've forgotten. <laughs> I looked to my, my mom, not my wife. So sorry, there we go. Uh, Isaac, I, when he was first born, people said to me, we can tell that you love your son. I don't know how they could tell, but then I looked back and thought through, it's because every time I get up in front, I had to talk about him. I had to use him as an illustration. He's got more illustrations in my sermons and stuff than any of our other kids. First kid, right? You got that. You realize you better not do that too much anymore. But I developed that, those glories because I would go into his bedroom. I would look at him and say, oh, he's so sweet. Yeah, wait till he's three, right? But there was a list. Of, we developed these lists of glories. So you, whatever you believe right now, 
that is most glorious, is what you're tasting is most sweet in your life or most valuable to you. And that explains everything that we would either struggle with or that we would not struggle with. Nothing wrong with thinking on the glories of good possessions, pursuits, people. But if we don't value the glory of Christ, which is the greatest demonstration and most valuable gift, priceless treasure ever given, then everything else is scary to own or to have. Now, let's talk about this. Some of you, I'm not going to pick you out, but some of you glory certain possessions. Okay, Come to the altar, right? Not really. But some of you glory certain possessions. Nothing wrong with that. Depending, unless you so value it that it causes you to get angry, depressed, or anxious to the point of sinning. To the point of not keeping that in perspective. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, not this thing. And so, car collectors. I'm not going to embarrass anybody about this. I want to find a, a one glory from a car collector here. There, there's, there's some glories that car collectors see in a car. When I see a car, I just say, does it work? And has it got too many dents in it, right? But car collectors see the glories of car. Nothing wrong with that, right? Any car collectors here? Okay, not much. Maybe they see the chrome on a car, right? The list of glories. Uh, the list of a certain person that you are directed to, that your affections surrender to. That you get angry if they don't please you. That you get depressed if they don't give you what you want. You know, that person, the glories of that person, the glories of a certain pursuit in your life. So possessions, person, or pursuit. Where does workaholic come in? Because what the, the glory of what work provides is long for that person. And they've developed it. And they haven't compared it to the glory of the God who blesses what work try, he says gives. Like God gives income. God gives resources. God provides. So there, there are these realities of how every emotion is predicated by your list of glories. A few verses later in 2 Corinthians, right after this, in chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 6, Paul says there's two kinds of people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that the, the glory of, the, of Christ has been blinded by the God of this age. That the God of this age has blinded the unbelieving to the glory of Christ. So the God of this age blinds us to the glory of the gospel in Christ, right? No glory there. And then verse 6 says, But God has so shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So there's two kinds of people that are in this room. Those who can see on the cross of Jesus Christ glory, something that would draw you, and then as you let that draw you, will actually develop the rest of you into that same image. And those who, when they look at the cross of Christ, they like to maybe go visit it at Easter time and say that's a nice story and it doesn't move them. Right? They're veiled to it because some other glory has eclipsed that, has blinded their eyes to the display of the glory of God. By the Spirit, we have this ability to be changed into the image, to take the truth of God and become transformed by it. What does it mean to be transformed into that glory? 
We know what it is to behold it. What does it mean to be transformed into that image? That word is that Greek word metamorphosis, which is the idea of changing from the inside out. Each of you, I would say, if we were to talk and say, who are you? I would put four things that would categorize some of the things that you are. Number one, you are what you're doing. Right? You are what you're doing and speaking about. That's, that's part of who you are. But that's not the deepest part. Second thing I'd say, what are you meditating on? What are you thinking about? What captures your thoughts? You know, what's in there? And those thoughts don't necessarily mean who you are completely, but it is a big part. But what's underneath that, right? What do you want? What do you get excited about? What do you fear? What do you feel for things? What is it that motivates you, right? It could be several things. And it should be several things, but the glory of Christ should predominantly motivate all of that. So we have three levels here, but the, underneath that is one other level. What do you believe? What do you believe is most valuable? That is exactly what the gospel has changed in us. That is exactly from a counseling perspective what the gospel has changed in us. That then transforms our desires progressively. The more we behold what we believe is glorious, transforms what we think about, becomes the gravity of all that, holds it into place. Those are critical realities because that's what we're being transformed into. Now, I want to give you a, a passage to think about. In Psalm 115 talks about idols. Obviously, the idol crafts the idol because he wants to embrace the glory of that idol. He wants that glory to give him whatever it's going to promise. And in verse 8, here's what it says. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them will become like them. So by a secret law of the soul, you tend to imitate and be transformed and developed by what you believe is most glorious. So if you believe that uh, smoke, cigarettes offer you the best, then you're going to fill your life with what? Your lungs with cigarettes. Uh, if, if you love the glory of money, you're going to fill your life with the glory of money and what it can buy. If you love the glory of pleasure, then you're going to seek pleasure in ways, if you love it, if you think that's the, what to die for, through many various ways, relationships, internet, drugs, alcohol. If you love knowledge, you're going to fill your life with knowledge. And some of these things, nothing wrong with it. But if that's the most valuable thing, it's out of orbit. It's going to crash. You might love health, and so you exercise all the time. It, from what you believe is most valuable, you develop the rest of you. It comes. You were transformed by glory. Those who love the glory of God will be filled with the glory of God. What are those? Well, how about the fruit of the Spirit, just for a moment? Fruit of the Spirit. Filled with what? Love. Because the most valuable thing to a Christian is the love of God. Right? Is the God who loved him. So the person that beholds the glory of God's love becomes transformed in the image of his love. Love is patient. The more you behold the patience of God, love is kind. Joy. 
peace. Those are the things that when you're beholding the glory of God that you become filled with. It's better than the temporary pleasures offered by the other things, right? Food. I, I love food. I just can't eat it. I have a restricted diet. But I love to get close to it. I love to smell it. I love to bake it for my family. But the glory of food is perishing. And if I love food, I'm going to be so filled with it, right? And this is what I want to make. Think about this truth that we can see. Whatever you value most determines your value. Because that's what you fill your life with. The husband that would love Christ most will love his family most, right? You will more or less value based on what you believe is most glorious. And that value that when once you are transformed into that glory, that glory then is benefit to the others around you. Has anyone ever met a Christ-centered loving saint? The value of that saint? Can't describe it, right? Because they are housing the love of Christ in a way that I wish I could. Have you ever seen anyone that housed the humility of Christ? Or the courage of Christ? Or the glory of His patience? Or the glory of His endurance? Right? These people feed the rest of us. Right? And you do that when you house the glories of Christ. That transformation begins when your eyes are unveiled to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me go to this uh, next. If you could get to this slide... Uh, It says that the key to biblical transformation, I believe it's slide nine. This uh, definition of glory and the change that's possible, I just want to take you on a flyby with other scriptures. There are four other passages in the Bible that describe how to change biblically in a central way. As biblical counselors, we look at these five passages as defining for us the methods of change. The first one, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we just covered it. We change by beholding the glory. We're transformed in that glory. We've looked at that. But there's so are the four other passages that supplement and enforce, reinforce some of these things. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. The two aspects of change that are mentioned there. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your holy and acceptable, pleasing to God, spiritual, acceptable worship. And it goes on to say in verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The renewed mind and the offering of my body. Right? Behavior, thoughts. But do you see what's orbiting around in the thoughts? Paul says it right at the beginning. Do this in view of what? God's mercy. So the biblical change of beholding by becoming is in Romans 12. Behold the mercy of God and you'll be transformed into someone who wants to offer your body on the mercies of God more often, right? In light of His mercy. And the transformed mind that takes the mercies of God shown them in Christ and looks at a tough situation they're facing in life or relationship that they have to forgive or be kind to, they take the mercies, the glory of God's mercy, they make a list, they think on that, and then they look at their problem and you know what that happens to their heart? It says that they're transformed to the place of being able to look at the will of God as good, as pleasing, and perfect. Sometimes, do you ever, when you're face-to-face with something or someone or something that you're struggling with, 
pull back and say, you know, the most important thing right now is that I demonstrate the glory of Christ's love. Because that makes me most valuable. Think about that. See, I don't like that. I don't like the idea of telling me I'm most valuable. We are to seek this kind of value from God. That is what Christians are. We are the light of the world and salt of the earth. And we're in a tough spot. We need to recognize that the renewed mind can take the mercies of God and be transformed in what they believe about that moment, what they should do and feel and desire. It can help us. And then Ephesians 4, 22, 20, 22 through 24, it gives us three uh, steps of change. It says, put off the old self. Put on the new self. And right in the middle of that, it says, be made new in the spirit of your mind. If we were to be able to do a study longer in this Ephesians passage, you would see the, that Paul takes that thought, those three steps, put off, put on, and be new. And he focuses on that the rest of Ephesians many times over. So if you're writing this down, like Ephesians 4:29 and 30 says, put off unwholesome words, put on wholesome words. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The glory of the Spirit's sealing work in your life. Because he goes on to say, by whom you have been sealed. Don't grieve him. And so you see, Paul takes that. We could go on to see how he talks about handling anger in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. He says, put off wrath, anger, malice, slander, and all those things. Be kind, just as the Lord has what? Been kind to you. So Paul says, handle anger differently because of the glory of how God has responded to your sin. And then this command to submit to each other, Ephesians 5.21, later on. Submit to one another out of reverence for what? Jesus. So something about Jesus has caused me to be able to submit to you because of his glory. Love your wife in light of the glory of Christ's sacrifice for you. That's what he would say to husbands. Now the next verse, Colossians 3.10-11, defines the second step more, the second step of renewing your mind. And it says there that we are to put off the old self. And it says that we are to put on the new self, which is being renewed by true knowledge of God. So how does the new self feed by the truth of who God is? And it goes on in Colossians to say to those who are slaves, those who are servants, obey your masters with all respect knowing you receive the reward. So Paul is motivating them to be more excited about the eternal reward than the temporary one. Because of the glory of what Christ has done on the cross, that's possible. And then the last verse is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This talks about the process of change. So the process of change, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable for these four things. And this is, this is a step one, two, three, four in change. Number one, profitable for what? Instruction, right? Instruction in what? Righteousness. Don't forget that. That's where we're going. Instruction in righteousness. Change. The glory of Christ. All scripture is useful for instruction. And it's useful for reproof. Reproof. Which means the word comes to you and says, this is wrong. And it persuades you that the glory of that thing you're doing is not worth giving yourself to like that. That's what the Word does. 
It's useful for instructing you, reproving you, and then correcting you. That means this is much better. Don't you want to be a patient person? Don't you want to share in the glory of Christ's self-control? Don't you want to share in the glory of His faithfulness? That's what the Spirit of God does with the Word. It instructs us and reproves us so that we're convicted. And then it corrects us. And then finally, after that process goes over and over, it trains us. And that's the process of change. Many Christians are not changing because they're not either beholding the glory of Christ practically or they're not bringing it out into the battle. The other day, I was, I was wrestling with some things and trying to figure out, oh, how am I going to get this done and that? And I just stopped for a minute and I said, wait. John the Baptist said that no, a man can receive nothing unless God gives it to him. So God is in charge of the results. Okay. Now, that didn't take away all the anxiety, but it helped to not be controlling. See, the glory... I, we have this possibility as Christians to take one list of God's glory or Christ's glory and interject it in the moments of our battle, right? So these are the realities. If we were to go uh, further in that, we could see that this again and again can be applied in various counseling settings. Let me end with this. This is, if you go to the uh, slide, that um, we must seek to display Christ's glory. It's about seven slides away. So this is our last point here. We know 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a divine perspective of change. And we understand that there are observations we can make about that, that we need to be transformed into that image. And then not only do we are transformed, we have to seek to display those when we are sad, mad, mad or frad. We need to take this passage and realize that it connects us to this. And this is what John Owen says, Do any of us find decays and grace prevailing in us? A deadness, coldness, a lukewarmness, a kind of spiritual stupidity and senselessness coming upon us. Any of you have those feelings this week at times? And would we have our souls recovered from these dangerous diseases? What he says next is pretty important. Let us assure ourselves there's no other way for our healing. No other way for our deliverance. Yes, no other way but this, namely the obtaining of fresh views of the glory of Jesus Christ. Sounds like we may be on the right track. Maybe we're tracking with this guy, the Puritan John Owens. We try many things to change. Let's try this. Put it to the test, as he says here. What do I do? Get a list of glories. I don't know where they are. Well, talk to somebody. They'll give you. If, you're, if I'm anxious, what are some glories of Christ? What are some illustrations in the word of that? If you would, skip two slides. Here's what some other Christians have said that I just want to bolster up what we're saying. This one is Timothy 8. He says, The word and works of God have a unified purpose in the Christian life. They all serve as prisms to communicate the glory of God to us and serve as mirrors to help us glorify that God. Let's go to the next one. J.I. Packer, agreeing with this whole perspective, he says, The Christian instincts of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully by knowledge of the greatness of God. But this is knowledge which Christians today largely lack. And that is one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship so flabby. We're modern men. And modern men, though, cherish great thoughts about man and many other things, 
have as a rule of thumb small thoughts about God. And then David Brainerd, the missionary to the Indians, said this in the next slide. The essence of religion consisted in the soul's conformity to God and acted above selfish views for his glory, longing to be for him, to live in him and please him and honor him in all things, and this from a clear vision of his infinite excellency and worthiness in himself. And then a very famous quote that many of you probably have heard of before A.W. Tozer, the most portentous fact about any man is not what he had any man may say or do, but in what his deep heart perceives God to be like. What is most glorious to you? Is it the most glorious being in the universe? Then you are going to be filled with that glory. You will be drawn and developed by the glory that you believe in, that you embrace. So here's the application. Uh, go, to, go to the next slide, if you would. Whenever sinful behavior exists, one should suspect faulty views of God. So assign counselees to read portions of God's word on his attributes. Assign them to read supplemental works on God. And he goes on to share more of what we can do. But look at the next one. This is the last question. What glories of God? Go to the next slide, if you would. What glories of God in Christ do I need to become more preoccupied with as I seek to say no to sin, to better handle the stress of my present challenges, to calm current controlling fears, anxieties, and worries, to pull out of this dark depression, to replace my bitterness or quick temper with patience and compassion. What do I need to meditate upon? What do I need to focus on those glories? And once we're doing this, we can ask that same question to those that we seek to help. One day... 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us something is going to happen. It says, Beloved, now we are not yet, we are children of God, but it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But we know when he appears, we will be like him. And then it uses this phrase, Why will we become like Jesus in the twinkling of an eye? Because we will what? See him just as he is. I would encourage you to take these thoughts and develop your list of glories of Christ. Why is it that I call him Lord? My son, I will give one illustration since he's not here today. Isaac, when he was about 10, he came to me after trying to go to sleep and he couldn't go to sleep. And I looked at him and I said, son, what's wrong? He said, I don't know. I said, uh, I just kind of took a stab in the dark. Did you do something wrong? <laughs> Did you feeling bad about it? And he said, yeah. I said, what did you do? He said, I told you I would brush my teeth and I didn't. Anyone ever done that growing up? Uh-oh, my little son has his hand up right now. <laughs> we'll take care of that later. <laughs> Listen to this story, though. <laughs> so I looked at him, and instead of saying to him, well, you know, you need to obey, because that's what we do, we obey. I did want him to perform obedience. God wants us to perform it, and sometimes we have to white-knuckle it. But goodness gracious, if that's what you're doing in your Christian life, we're not getting the glory of what's in front of us. The glory of being like Jesus is what's offered to us. I wanted him to prefer it. I didn't want him just to perform it. I can't make him prefer it. I can't even make myself prefer it, but I can look at the list of glories and let the Spirit persuade me and then give myself to that offer my body in the mercies of God. I said to him this, though. This is kind of came to me. I said, Son... 
Who loves you more than me? He said, nobody, Dad. Yeah. I said, son, who knows best how to take care of your teeth? You or me? And he said, you do, Dad. I said, so if I love most, if I know best, and I can take care of it, if I love most and know best, why wouldn't you obey me? And I said, before he could, you know, be too guilty, I said, son, let me tell you something. When I disobey, I'm forgetting that Jesus Christ loves most and knows best. Tim, you want to make the most of your life? Be like me. Be like me. Be persuaded by my demonstration on the cross that life isn't everything. Glory is everything. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. We all with unveiled face behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed by that very image into glory, into that same glory. Lord, I just ask that those who are struggling with some besetting sin, that they would fix their eyes upon the glories of Christ. Not just right now, but in the battle. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.